Well, you guys, welcome back to the show. It's good to be with you. This is your host, Hunter McWaters. Uh, today, I got an episode for you that um, is a really good one. Um, if you guys remember a while back, I went out west to uh, Total Archery Challenge and to Vegas to stop at the Go Hunt offices. And while I was out there, I got a chance to reconnect with um, a super interesting guy who I met at the first Total Archery Challenge I ever went to in Pennsylvania and did some podcasting with. But we got to sat, sit down and have a longer conversation. Um, this one's from with uh, Tier Simac of Black Rifle Coffee Company. So um, if you guys have heard of Tier before, not sure. Um, he's got a pretty big following on his Instagram. His name on there is like Red Leader Standing By. Um, but just really interesting, dynamic guy. He was a former uh, Special Warfare... Um, Special Forces officer. Um, he was a, uh, I guess, forgive me if my lingo is not correct here, but he was like a combat medic in the Green Berets. Um, so again, if you're military and you're cringing because I'm not saying the right stuff, I apologize, but uh, you get the point. And uh, he he spent uh, he served uh, in the war, uh, spent some time in Afghanistan, um, some other places. Uh, so very interesting guy, has some amazing stories, um, you know, and a lot of them he's told before. So of course I do touch on some of them, but um, also a very philosophical type guy, very thoughtful guy, very intelligent guy, and. So so we kind of um, we kind of went in deep on the spiritual stuff, uh, which I wasn't, to be honest with you, really expecting. But um, I could just tell when we started talking that we were connecting on it, and uh, it was kind of hitting home with him and. And, uh, you know, it just it just went that way, and, and it went great. We had an awesome conversation. I feel like we really connected. I feel like we really bonded. Uh, amazing guy, very interesting guy. You know, I could probably do like 10 podcasts with this guy, and it'd still all be interesting because he's just entertaining and has some awesome stories. But, um, you know, for some reason... Uh, you know, I was thinking about a verse to go with this episode, and I don't know why, but the one I feel like the Lord just put in my heart was uh, John thirteen thirty four and 35, and it just says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And I know it gets hammered on a lot, but that really, if you boil down the Gospels and Jesus' message, that was really it. It was that you love one another. And I think Tyr exemplifies that in the way that he loves his friends, in the way that we connected, even though we didn't know each other super well, um, in the way he loves his wife, in the way he loves his children, um, and, and even the love he has for his fellow soldiers, uh, co-workers, and um, even the people that he you know helped um, on his deployments like one of the things he did was he started a like free healthcare clinic for locals in the Middle East. Um, just like, you know, no one ordered him to do it. It was not something he had to do. He did it just because he wanted to. Um, that is the gospel right there, folks. And, um, you know, so uh, we have an interesting conversation. Again, he's a great guy. And um, and that was the verse that just kind of popped into my heart when I was thinking about Tyr. And uh, again, John 13, uh, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So anyway, um, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Um, you know, I do have a discount code that I believe is still active with Black Rifle Coffee. So if you want to try out their stuff, which I got a tour of the whole facility, 
facility after we did this podcast. Um, it was at the headquarters there in Salt Lake City. Um, you know, if you want to check it out on YouTube, but I did, um, you know, and probably put together like a little reel of some of the footage I got from the facility, but, um, really cool facility um and you know awesome coffee um and they do it all right there in uh in salt lake so um you know go check out the description field and i believe you can save 20 percent on your first order from black rifle if you use that code and it's definitely worth checking them out they got some really good products for the backcountry as well as at home so so check them out and uh enjoy this episode with tear see you on the next one All right, so I'm here with Tier Simank, right? Pretty close, yeah. That's that's as close as anybody's ever gotten on my first try. Yeah, Simak, the NS Simak. Okay, okay, okay. So um, we met uh, last year at TAC in uh, Seven Springs and did like a little short podcast. Yep. But um, you probably met meet so many people in your travels you barely remember. But um, you're a super interesting guy. So I wanted to get you back on the podcast for a long time. We had one set up actually for this week on Zoom, but my plans changed and I decided to come down here for tax. So that's right. In person's always better. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah, man. So you just got, were you shooting today or just setting up? No, what? just setting up. So nothing's open up there yet today. Just yeah. the vendors are getting set up and Sean's up there herding cats and trying yeah. not to have a heart attack and, and whatnot. Are you going to, sh- do you shoot them when you go oh, usually? Yeah. 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 So we're going to shoot at uh, seven o'clock tomorrow morning with a couple okay. of friends and then we'll probably do a, a second shorter course in the afternoon. Okay. Um, so I'm actually signed up for the, for the black rifle course yeah. because I'm not set up for like those hundred yard <laughs> ridiculous shots. I haven't even shot our course. I don't know what it's <laughs> in fact. So last year, Nicole and I were at every tack except South Dakota and Michigan last year. We didn't do Michigan. I did Michigan the year before. So we did every single tack there was That's last crazy. year because we had... We were, How many is that? I don't know. It was enough to take up the whole summer. Blur. Yeah. It was... We, were, we weren't... We didn't see our house for two and a half months. Wow. Yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. Do you like traveling that much? Or not, little, that, not that much. Yeah, that's no, a little much. It was a little much. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm fortunate that she was with me. Yeah. Uh, Maybe slide that just a touch over here so your chin doesn't to my right. On it. Either way, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Hello, Michael Clancy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Another one of our soft guys that works here. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, but uh, where was? It? Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't like. No, I don't like traveling. Yeah, that's a lot. Much. Um, it's a balance because there's some FOMO there. Yeah. Like, because these are fun. They're fun events. Right. Um, but, uh, as much as I traveled in the military right. and contracting yeah. as well, uh, man, I, I miss my living room. I, I miss, <laughs> yeah. I miss just chilling. I miss cutting my grass. All the, all the domestic stuff yeah. you, you kind of take for granted. Yeah. And, and you have kids, but they're older, right? Yeah. So I've got two adult kids and then one that's in high school. Okay. Nice. Um, where are they at? My son's in Portland. My daughter is in. Sp- my oldest daughter is in Spokane. You're not a granddad yet, are you? Not yet. I've had a couple of granddad scares. <laughs> a couple of granddad uh, scares. Uh, but um, yeah, my kids. Two of my kids are older than I was when I had them. I was pretty young. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and then my youngest is uh, in Seattle. Okay. Cool, man. Yeah. So um, yeah, I want to hear just a little bit about you. I mean. You know, 
I don't want to go. I'd like to hit some areas maybe that are not on like other podcasts, you know, sure. just to you know hit it a little different. But I'd like to hear just a little bit about growing up in Oregon, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So what was what was your childhood like in Oregon? I feel like so many like badass people come out of Oregon. <laughs> what is with Oregon? Well, I think for most of those badasses, it's because they come out of you know a, a wilderness upbringing yeah. and uh, hunting and fishing and all that and. I had a smidge of that, yeah. Um, but uh, mine was more of a roundabout kind of a eclectic way. Did you grow? Did you grow up like hunting and fishing and stuff, or not? Really? A little bit. A little bit. So um, my uh, oh, you were a ski bum. Yeah, I was a ski bum. My my <laughs> grandfather was was uh, a pretty uh, pretty good outdoorsman. Uh, lots of hunting and whatnot. And uh, my dad was to a lesser extent, but. Um, uh, and then my, on my mom's side, um, my mom tied her own flies. My, my mom oh, and my cool. dad split up when, before I could even remember. Before, okay. Yeah, I think that was about two. Yeah. Um, and I hope that squeaking isn't too much yeah. for you. Yeah. It'll be okay. It'll be all right. It's like we did this live in a coffee shop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. <laughs> it's spitting. Just go spit on the hinges real quick. Um, so my, uh, my mom and my stepdad were big into fishing. Yeah. Um, and my grandpa, my grandparents also were into uh, salmon fishing. So they okay, had a boat cool. and we'd, we'd go out. And, and your granddad was a uh, World War II vet? World War II vet, What yeah. did he, what did you do? Or like what He theater? was an airborne truck driver. Airborne truck driver. Yeah, okay. so his job, what, uh, what they trained him up to do when he got shipped to the Pacific, um, they were going to, they were basically going to be um, the do do uh, airborne resupplies. Okay. So he went to Fort Lee, Virginia for, for all his training. Um, but it was, it was a big part of a campaign that never happened because while he was on the boat over to Japan, they surrounded. Oh, no. Yeah, he likes to joke, they heard I was coming. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, but he was um, 17 at the time. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So I, one of my grandfathers was a ball turret gunner on a B-24. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then the other one was a helmsman on the Essex. Okay. What's um, the what's the ex- Essex? It was like aircraft carrier. Okay. Yeah. Um, they got they got survived the kamikaze hit. And, right. Um, great. He's actually my great uncle, but I consider him like a granddad. But anyway, man. So um, so my my grandfather is he's the youngest of seven brothers and sisters. Okay. Uh, and uh, he's from Texas, little town in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Okay. Um, and his next older brother was also in the military. Actually, all his brothers were. Yeah. All his brothers served in World War II, uh, which is why he wanted to sign up, honestly. And also, he thought he was just going to go anyway. So he had his dad sign yeah. off for him so he could join when he was 17. But his next older brother was the cook in the Navy, which doesn't sound like much unless you're, you know, Steven Seagal, yeah. <laughs> secret Navy SEAL cook in the Navy. Yeah. But he, um, he had two boats shot out from under him. I yeah. don't know which ones, but... Hit two boats shot off one, oh, wow. and one of them, um, all he was able to save was a five-gallon jug of ice cream. <laughs> so they were on a life raft with this five-gallon no jug way. of ice cream. That's what they. At least it's calorie dense, right? Right. Yeah. Well, let me check one thing. Like, you gonna check the levels? Um, no, nah, I'm just making sure I hit record. Making sure you hit record. <laughs> I did that to Nicole the other day. I was recording, and we we got halfway through, and I looked down, and I noticed the red light wasn't on. I'm like, oh. Yeah. I'm glad this was with you. Yeah. <laughs> Dang, that door is getting a little much. It's it's kind of wild. We went with, from zero traffic to I know. Uh, rush hour. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's okay. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, ice cream. But that's okay. We can move on from there. Yeah. Um, so 
I heard you mention before that your stepdad was a pastor. Yep. Yeah. So, um, did, was that a big part of your life, or it, it was? Um, so, pretty big dichotomy, um, or disparity, or any other word that starts with "di" that you want to throw in there. So, my my birth father uh, is is Buddhist. Oh, really? Yep. And was a stripper. Um, and then my stepdad was a Quaker pastor. <laughs> a Buddhist stripper. <laughs> yeah. And then I became a Green Beret. And yeah. so, if, if you know anything about Quakers, I mean, one of the tenets of, of the French church is pacifism. Right, right. So but I did I did hear that you followed in your birth dad's footsteps in Wonder Garden. There. I did. <laughs> yeah. So I followed both of them for a little bit. Pretty good hybrid. Like, I led Bible studies in high school. And then I became a stripper in my early 20s. <laughs> I guess I think you're the first uh, stripper guest I've had. <laughs> I don't know what... I've, I've listened to your podcast a couple times. I don't know what scripture you're going to open with on that one. <laughs> that's funny. It's probably something in the Beatitudes, something about being meek. I don't know. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Man. Uh, so, but anyway, um, but is, is spirituality or faith still a part of your life at all? Spirituality is. Yeah. Um, faith. It's interesting you ask about that because somebody asked me a very direct question um, on Instagram this morning. They just flat out asked if I believe in God, and that, that brought up some things for me. And uh, this is actually the first time I've really talked about this publicly. I mean, I've, I've talked about it with close friends, but, yeah. but um, deploying to, a, you know, I mean, obviously, if I was a stripper in my early twenties, I got a little wild. But I always kind of thought I would cloverleaf back to it. Sure. And I think a lot of people do that. Oh yeah. Um, but I, when I when I deployed to Afghanistan, one thing that I saw there was the Taliban are, were were very fervent, right? They're 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 true believers. Yeah. At least the hardcore Taliban. Some of them are along for the ride. Right. You know because if your village is being taken over, you know, like yes, I also would like not to die. Yeah. Right. Right. I'll go along with whatever yeah. you're saying, but um, but I realized, and my first point was 0304. I, I I can remember this exact moment. I was driving uh, from Saripal, uh back to Mazar Sharif on one of the few paved roads that they had in the country back then, and uh, I was looking out over these these plains, and um, this this guy in. He had, uh, he had his um, scarf wrapped like a turban, and it was waving in the wind behind him, and this big dog was chasing him. Um, later I learned that he was probably training that dog, but I thought the dog was actually chasing him down. Yeah. It was a big, mean dog. And Muslims so, don't like dogs. They do not. But in Afghanistan, they do dog fighting. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. And I guess they have Afghan hounds, right? Um, um, well, not that? like what we see, yeah. right? That, <laughs> not um, like the my, show dog type. Right, but, no, my... Yeah. My interpreter actually called them hell dogs. Okay. Yeah, they dock their ears, they dock, they dock everything, and yeah. man, they're mean. Um, they're scary. So he's running across the desert with the, it was just kind of a surreal experience. I remember I was driving a Land Rover Defender, and there was this uh, British medic that was in the in the passenger seat, and she was we were coming back from a, a medical mission, and uh, I, I nudged her, and she looked at me, and I said, "Roll your window down and lean back." <laughs> And she goes, what? <laughs> I said, do it. And she throws her window down and she leads back and I, I put my nine millimeter out the window. And I was trying to help him out. Yeah. So I'm basically doing a drive-by on this dog that's chasing <laughs> while we're cruising down this highway. 
but the, there was something about that particular moment. I don't know what it was, but something in there that had nothing to do with the dog chasing that dude. I think it was just kind of like the surreal experience of driving across the northern plains of this desert yeah. with you know, this dude down the middle of nowhere. But I was thinking about I was thinking about something I had read about Arabs coming in to the country um, with you know when Al Qaeda was still forming or uh, when they when they came in to be uh, Mujahideen and whatnot, or fight with the Mujahideen and that how they were so fervent they were just on fire for their faith right um, to the point where some of them would chain themselves to trees when they knew airstrikes were coming in because they wanted to die for their cause wow. and that's what they believed in yeah and it struck me that if I had been born in Afghanistan rather than the United States, mm -hmm. I would be Taliban. Yeah, wow. And I mean, I, was, I won the lottery. We all did, really. Yeah. You know, I won the lottery by being born in the United States, but that really shook my faith to the core. Yeah. Because everything I'd been taught up to that point, like I went to a, a private school for a year in high school, and <clears throat> I think it's very, very important for anybody who has faith in anything to question and to mm -hmm. ask themselves those hard questions. Because if you don't ask them yourself, somebody else is gonna ask them for you. Yeah. And if you can't answer it, how strong is your faith? Yeah. And for me, um, I mean, it shook it enough to where I didn't come back. And I'm not, I don't criticize anybody that, that does. In fact, I was telling Nicole earlier that I'm, I'm jealous of people that have that, that kind of faith. Um, I still, I'm, I'm so grateful for the, for the moral compass that I had growing up, that, that foundation that gave me basically the guiding principles to, to do what I think is right. And I didn't, it's not that I, I completely rebelled against uh, the church or anything like that. Right. Know, I didn't go absolutely wild, especially since I'm in my mid-40s now. <laughs> but, so you actually... <laughs> I thought you were getting at like you had like a religious kind of awakening experience, but actually you had an experience that kind of took you away. I did. So it was kind of that um, <clears throat> feeling of it was all kind of just by chance that and, and that everything was relative based on just, you know, where you happen to be born kind of thing. Because, yeah. you know, the other, other side of the coin there is you could, you know, you say you won the lottery, but you could, you know, or you could say you were placed here or blessed or whatever, but I definitely understand what you're talking about. I mean, yeah. that's, I've had that thought before too. Yeah, and it, and it goes even deeper than that because being a medic, um, there are things that I saw that, you know, the only thing standing between, between uh, like say a local kid and top first world medical care mm -hmm. was me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I did everything to the best of my ability, but there were things that I couldn't fix. And there were things that w we, we couldn't save everybody in the country. Right. And there's also things I saw, you know, just like my very first fatality in Afghanistan was a four-year-old girl. Mm. And she'd been shot in the head. Not by us, by like an angry neighbor or something. Like on purpose. Yeah. Not like a stray bullet or something. No, it was very deliberate. Um, and uh, that, that hit me 
pretty hard. It's still, it's still hard for me to, no, to deal imagine. with that one. I got, that's not a book that's ever closed for me. Yeah. Because my son at the time was four years old. So I packed everything away. And there's a whole ordeal that goes along with that that we can, depending on how long you want to record, we can go into it. But by, when the end of that night happened, I remember being in the dark outside of the Siege of Soda uh, jock. Um, and I walked back in. I said, hey, I'm back. Uh, you know, mission done, mission complete, et cetera, so forth. I walked outside. It was pitch black right there on the sidewalk outside that, that clamshell tent. And I just felt my shoulders collapse, my knees get weak, and it was just a big adrenaline dump. And I just started sobbing uncontrollably mm. in the dark. But that, that was really difficult for me. But where that came into play with my faith was, you know, when I had questions about why something was the way it was, the easy answer for whether it was uh, a, a pastor or you know a, a teacher at, at uh, the private school I went to was faith you got to have faith yeah it's not enough for me because what I'm seeing is suffering mm -hmm. and I can't it's hard for me to justify in my mind that we've got this all-knowing all-loving father figure um, who loves us so much that he gave his, his only begotten son. But I've got this four-year-old girl who suffered. Yep. And she's never going to know Christianity. Yep. Her dad's never going to know Christianity. They live in an Islamic nation. Mm -hmm. what, what's God's plan there? Yeah. It's, it's just something that couldn't be rectified. Yeah. Me. I mean, that's, that's one of the oldest, biggest, hardest questions in the world, you know, when it comes to faith and, mm -hmm. you know, I think some of that, some of the reason why it's hard for us to answer that too is because I think a lot of us have been given an, um, an over-exaggerated picture of the sovereignty of God, that mm -hmm. everything that happens on earth is God's will, but the reality that I found is, is like, you know, in the New Testament, Paul calls the devil the ruler of this world. When the, the, the truth of, of the matter is, is like, evil really kind of runs this world, like, not everything that happens is God's will. Like a lot of stuff that happens is the enemy. And we have a bad enemy and he's good at being a bad enemy. And so when I see suffering, I don't say, why did God do this? I said, I say, you know, this is, this is not God. Like that four-year-old girl getting shot in the head, that, that would, God had nothing to do with that. He was crying with you, you know what I'm saying? But it's, it's not easy though. No, it's not. And this is what, you know, before you, for your listeners that are Christians or, or viewers, um, this is what I, I would like for them to take out of this. I don't want, I don't want them to, to leave the church on account of something I said here. Of course, yeah. What I want is, so you're an athlete now, mm -hmm. right? How do your bones get stronger? Like through working out or through breaking stress. them? Yeah. Through stress, right? Yep. Like if you, if you stopped running, yeah. I mean, this is something a physical therapist will tell you this. Maybe not one for, for geriatrics, but one for athletes is going to tell yeah, you, yeah. hey, if you break a leg, part of your rehab is you need to start pounding on that. That right. stress on that bone right. is going to or make that Or muscles are like the stronger. micro tears. Exactly. Yeah. We, we build bone, we build muscle mm -hmm. through breaking it down. Mm -hmm. We break it down and it builds back stronger. Yeah. I want, I want the people who claim faith in your audience, I want them to break it down and build it yeah. back stronger. 
That's a great analogy. That's that's what I would like them yeah. to do. Because if I, you're seeking truth, it has to withstand. Yeah. Right? And you can't just close your eyes and say, well, I just believe it. Like A lot of people do, should. though. I know. A lot of people do. And I saw that yeah. in, in church. Yeah. You know? It, you should seek for truth. I went to a lot of different churches growing up, with, especially with my stepdad being a pastor. You know, he'd be a guest, a guest pastor at, at whatever, mm -hmm. and there'd be a variety of faiths. And I, I saw a lot of different stuff. And and um, what I saw in various denominations and various services and congregations, and whatnot, did make me a, a stronger Christian because I saw what I didn't want to be. Yeah. You know, and I saw what I did want to be. I've, there are some faiths that actively preach like don't ask too many questions <laughs> that's the easy way right <laughs> yeah give me your money yeah. don't ask too many questions yeah. that's that's the easy button yeah. i mean I'm, i was the same way man like a part a big reason that, that i took the huge you know like you said cloverleaf path i took yeah. was because the the faith i was given as a child i couldn't rectify logically or in my brain or scientifically or anything i and so i was like I just threw the baby out with the bathwater mm -hmm. and I said, well, if I, if I can't get past Genesis 1, how am I going to get to John 3, right? right. right. Um, but I, <clears throat> I wasn't afraid to ask those questions. I researched it, I went, you know, and, and I'd, um, I came back to it and, um, you know, so I do, you know, I think people should question and I like that analogy, David, breaking it down and... It's, it's the hard right, Yeah, you know? I don't mean like the extreme right. I mean it's the difficult right. <laughs> yeah, 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 man. So, yeah. so I guess then in what because you said spirituality does still play a role in your life. So what what role does it play now, or how does it look? You know, mind sharing. It took a while to get back to that point. So, um, unfortunately, um, a lot of people equate spirituality and religion, and it's yeah. not the same thing. Yeah, religion is a series. Religion is man. And God is God. Religion's a series of, of, of guidelines and, and rules. Yeah. Spirituality is not. Spirituality is, is that feeling mm -hmm. inside you um, that, whether it's compassion, camaraderie, um, that feeling that, whether, for me, it's the feeling I get when I'm, when I'm sitting on the side of a mountain and I'm, and I'm witnessing a sunrise or a sunset, mm -hmm. right? Um, it, it's... It's feeling compassion towards towards other people or empathy, things like that. It's it's that it's that thing that makes it doesn't make me feel small. It makes me feel part of something else that's bigger than me. Yeah. Um, whereas religion just tells me how to how to do things right. Yeah, absolutely. You know. So and I, religion hurts a lot of people, and then they equate they don't know what you just said that religion and God are not the same. Yeah. Religion is man. Anything man does is going to be flawed inherently. God is is not that. Um, so you have to be able to separate it and yeah. um, and figure out figure that out. Yeah. I mean, if if religion and spirituality were the same thing, we'd have a hard time having three different. I always mess up. Abrahamic, Abrahamic, Hebrew. I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. They all stem from Abraham. Yeah. Judaism, Islam, Islam, and, Islam, and Christian, Christianity. Yeah. yeah. All, all the same foundation. Yeah. Pretty similar rules, but some stark departures. Yeah. You know, further with yeah. <laughs> where they branch out. For sure. And then they just start fighting. Yeah. So, but. Yeah, it's it's crazy, man. So, but, um, and kind of back to your analogy, um, that's something I talk about a lot is like spiritual fitness, and people a lot of times think 
or they don't know how to approach spirituality or spiritual growth and maybe don't know how to cultivate it so um, I actually you know I, I believe it can it can be intentionally cultivated and like built on and, and you can grow in it mm -hmm. if you're intentional about doing that um, but is that something that you that you try to do in your life at all um, the spiritual cultivation yeah yeah it is um, uh, because I think it's a it's a very important and often overlooked component of uh, of your own health. Absolutely, we're spirit, mind, and body. Right? Yeah, yeah. And if you're not, if all you're doing is working out and reading books, yeah. and, and even the military has, has recognized this. Yeah, uh, and I was talking to Rich Devine. Have you heard him? No. Okay, he's. I think he was Dev Grew. I can't remember. He was a. He was on teams. He was a guest on the podcast. And he was talking about how the even the uh, the military had been looking into this stuff. Yeah, but go ahead. And, were you yeah, well, I, mean, I was just gonna say. I mean, it, it, spirituality doesn't have to be going to church. Right. If that's what if that's what fills that bucket for you, then by all means, right. go do that. Yeah. Right. Because it's it is your health. But uh, for other people, it, it, it may just be sitting down and, and meditating for a minute. And I know for some Christians, meditating means oh you're going over to eastern religion and blah 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 that's not necessarily what meditating is meditating psalms, just means psalms sit talks there about and meditating. being quiet yeah that's all it means yeah right or literally it translates to muttering to yourself like repeating in I the hebrew the anyway yeah so i meditate on the freeway a lot i mutter in fact i mutter a lot of other people <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. i didn't know that that's that's yeah, interesting yeah. yeah yeah but it that is an important you got to slow down yeah. Whatever, whatever it is that that gets you to slow down, step outside your daily to-do list, and center. That's the important thing. Is center. It, that's, yeah. that's important. Yeah. So how do you practically? How do you try to cultivate your your spiritual health? I write. Okay. Yeah. That's uh, that's the only thing I have that's consistent because I I travel. Um. That's that's. That's my form of just kind of like journaling or writing your thoughts. It's or um, it's more of a deliberate process, and it's a double-edged sword because somebody told me I was good at it, and then uh, so I started actually writing articles and books. In fact, a couple magazines right there that have my articles in them. Oh, nice! But um, now that there's an expectation there to perform. Yeah, it's it's harder for me to use it as my own centering process, gotcha. which is how it started. It it really started, you know, that the four year old I was telling you about. I wrote something about her for an English paper in college, and it was so therapeutic for me that I realized I needed to keep doing that. Okay. Um, and then back when I was living in Williamsburg, um, when this company first started, I was Evan asked me to write a piece of satire for the Black Rifle Coffee blog. Okay. And I never wrote that, but I did write something else, and I wrote a few other things to the point where Logan asked me to come on payroll as a writer, um, which felt weird to me, and I never took a paycheck because then it was a job. <laughs> and I didn't money need money at the time. Yeah. But then I deployed with JSOC, and I couldn't be a writer oh, okay. and deployed with JSOC at the same time. Okay. So I took a took a hiatus and when I came back Black Rifle was much bigger. Yeah. The blog wasn't the blog, it was Coffee or Die. Gotcha. Uh, and now it's a full full blown I mean they've got online, they've got 
I mean, yeah. it's, it's everything else. Very full-blown. But uh, the writing itself, the process of writing for me, I equate it to finding the edge of, of uh, on, on a roll of duct tape. Mm. Oh, yeah. Okay. You, need, you know you need the tape. <laughs> but it's difficult to find that edge. Yeah, yeah. And once you can finally get your finger underneath there and pull some, for me, once I can find the edge of the tape, I can just keep going. That's cool. But it is such a relief. It's, uh, I would say, top for me is writing. After that, it's getting outside and throwing heavy things around. Nice. Yeah. Nice. yeah. And then when I can, getting out in the woods. Yeah. Um, and all that stuff is trumped by spending any time, any time at all with my kids. Yeah, yeah. Even if it's not the best quality time. Yeah. It's just, I, I haven't spent so much time away, both in the military and in contracting for the government. And even to a point, you know, some of my time doing uh, Black Rifle stuff. Yeah. Anytime I, I get to sit down with them and talk about it. Absolutely. Um, when I am home, I make it a point to, uh, to do dinner at the table. Yeah. You know? Um, you know, we put phones away, we put dinner at the table, and for some people watching this, it's probably no big deal, but for when you don't have a routine, yeah, that is, that is a big deal. Yeah. And it's so easy to just take your plate of food to the couch, because we'll watch sure. movies together and whatnot, yeah, but yeah. I love what happens when we're around the table, Yeah. and there's no phones or anything else, because we don't have anything to do but talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah, I've been really trying to do that too lately. So my wife is Iranian-American, mm -hmm. and they're like very cool with sitting on the floor and eating. Yeah. They'll just put a blanket out. Right. And so it became a habit, like we would just sit on the floor in the living room and you know, turn the TV on, kids would be watching and stuff. And we had trouble getting my kids to eat unless we had them watching something. So, but we just moved to a new house and I'm like, nope, we're going to the table. We're sitting at the table, no iPads and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's good. Yeah. Um, I did want to ask you one thing real quick before we move on about your writing. Yeah. Um, I've heard that, um, I've heard that like there's a different mind-body connection when you're writing with actual pen and paper versus typing. Do you find that or do you type? I don't, do you... and I have heard that before. Uh, one of my writing inspirations is Chuck Palahniuk. I don't know. How to pronounce his name. <laughs> you know we're, we're from the same town. Yeah. Uh, I dropped out of the college that he he graduated from. You know. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I, you know I was a big fan of Fight Club. When, you know, oh, okay. When I was going That's the guy who wrote Fight Club. Guy who gotcha, wrote okay. Fight Club. Yeah. Um, I heard him say on uh, the Rogan podcast, just like in 2018. I was deployed when I listened to this. That um, sitting down behind a laptop isn't really writing. You got to use pen and paper. And I respect that for him, but that's not how it works for me. Yeah. Yeah. Because I can. The reason it doesn't work, it's different for me. I, I enjoy writing handwriting. But I see it as kind of inefficient because then I have to go through and try to read my handwriting when I'm doing it again, yeah. and I can type faster than I can write. Yeah. Um, so that's that's basically why I do it, and I I would love to be you know more holistic and down to earth and actually use the awesome pen that my friend gave me to <laughs> put in the you know the the, the handmade paper yeah, yeah. and whatnot. I would love that. Uh, there's something very romantic about it. Yeah, that. right, right. But the fact of the matter is, I don't always have a pen and a notebook. Sure, on, yeah. But I do always have my little pocket computer with me. Yeah. And I'll open up Google Keep or Google Docs and just start going to town. Yeah. And it's it's it's, it's yeah. 
my Google Keep is filled with pull tabs for duct tape. <laughs> nice, man. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so yeah, so um, you got into the military um, and you did some cool, unique course stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I signed up to drive tanks yeah. uh, with with the intent of getting out two years later and driving a snowcat on Mount Hood. And then I re-enlisted three times instead because I, I had I had kids, um, which is where my views on pacifism changed. Because I enlisted straight for college money, no other reason. Um, and then, you know, having kids, I realized that if somebody harmed one of them, I would have done them severe bodily oh, yeah. harm. And it's, that's a difficult uh, attitude to have as a pacifist. So I realized I was no longer a pacifist. <laughs> I was willing to accept that truth. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, as, as often happens when you get married when you're 19, um, my, my church camp sweetheart and I split up and um, looking for a little direction. I, I needed some challenge in my life and I started playing rugby for the post rugby team. One of my friends that I was playing rugby with was going to special forces selection. Okay. I didn't really know what that was all about, but I knew that it, if I didn't go, I'd always wonder if I could have made that. Yeah, for sure. So that's why I went to SF selection. Okay. And then, so w <clears throat> when did you realize you wanted to get into um, medic stuff? <laughs> The day I got selected. Okay. Yeah. I was riding that runner's high. You know, I had, had all endorphins. I was like, yeah, I conquered <laughs> this. It was the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. Yeah. Three weeks of the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And um, by that point, um, I knew that 18 Delta was the hardest job in Special Forces. So I was just like, yeah, whatever. I just did this hard thing. So I'll pick that next, I'll pick the hardest thing. I'll just keep challenging myself. Um, so that's, it wasn't because I had a deep desire to get elbow deep in blood and guts or anything like that or save the world or anything else. I did have a little bit of a hero complex, yeah. but I could have had that hero complex as a weapons guy too. It, I mean, so is the, I, I'm like pretty ignorant about military stuff to be honest. So like, um, is like the training, all the training the same except for, except for you have the like added medical stuff? Yeah, so what happens is you go to selection. Uh huh. And everybody's on level playing field there, and nobody has a name. You got you got a number. Yeah. At the end of selection, you either make it or you don't. Once you're selected, you get to put down on paper your wish list of gotcha. what you want as your job, but but that's only one variable. The regiment's also going to look at what they need and what you have an aptitude for. Right. And if you have um, higher intellectual test scores mm. than most than than average there's a strong and especially if you select medic there's a strong chance you're going to get picked up for yeah. medic that they're going to at least try that because the 18 delta course has such a high attrition rate right so your pacifism thing course. didn't play into like oh, i'd rather be a medic than no it had nothing to do with <laughs> sergeant york or you know or hacksaw ridge okay. or anything. i didn't even know a thing about hacksaw yeah. ridge back then yeah it had nothing to do with that okay uh, it, it just had to do with, with continuing on, on to challenging yeah. myself. Now, and um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, Green Berets are, are, are different than a lot of other special forces. I mean, it's... Um, yeah, we're super weird. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're involved a lot with um, 
training locals mm -hmm. and working with local forces and like I always think it's like super interesting like if I see like a picture on Instagram and you're wearing like like civilian clothes basically and you're yeah. like with some you know Afghani dudes or whatever so like what's different I guess about the Green Berets that kind of makes it unique we have a, a wider variety of missions so we really have to be good at everything and it's not really jack of all trades master of none it's like Master Jack of all, of all trades, trades, better than everybody else at most of them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that's really what it comes down yeah. to, and it, that's why we're gone so often. Is because even when we're not on a trip, when we come back, we got to go to a school to maintain that proficiency mm. or, or or learn something new. Mm. And there are teams that have specialties because you do need some kind of specialization. Like right. we got dive, excuse me, we got dive teams and mountain teams and gotcha. and you know teams that drive boats and things like that. Oh, interesting. But, uh, those are just, and, and free fall teams, but those are just infiltration methods. Yeah. You know? Um, at, the, at the heart of, a, of an ODA, a Swiss Forces Detachment, everybody across the board that's wearing a tab and a green hat, should, you should be able to pick one out and know that they've got this base level skill. Yeah. yeah hand them a rifle, say, follow me, or go over there, I'm depending on you. And you should know that they have that base level skill. And you're, I mean, as, are you? You're basically part of a team, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. And you go out in combat missions, but if people get hurt, you're the one that steps up and. Is in terms of the medic. Yeah. Yes, but so we, we everybody on ODA is cross trained. Like I've I've seen weapons guys, special forces weapons guys that are probably more proficient medics than. A conventional medic in a conventional unit, right? Better trained, more experienced, et cetera, so forth. Because because we're such a small insular unit, when we're not off somewhere, or even if we are off somewhere, we're cross training each other. So everybody on the team knows how to use radios. It's not just the combo guy. Everybody on the team knows how to yeah. stop bleeding and at least do the basic triage. Yeah. Uh, and and evac somebody, not just the medic. Yeah. The medic. The medic's like a. It's like a PA and a trauma surgeon mm -hmm. okay. that shoots really well. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Um. It's, it's really hard to put, us, to put 18 Deltas in a category because you could take somebody with half his training and he's got um, you know, a Red Cross on his ID card and Geneva Convention protections as a non-combatant. Yeah. 18 Deltas do not have non-combatant status, mm. but we could run an entire field hospital. Gotcha. It's, okay. it's, a, it's a really weird, Yeah. what do we do with these guys? I want to hear a little bit about your time. and Because, um, you know, 9-11 basically happened, yep. what, like, right when you got in, or? No, so I joined in 95. I've actually been in for 27 years. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, it's been a hot minute. So I know I don't look a day over 70. <laughs> but also, um, something that I think is really interesting that I'd like to hear a little bit about, too, um, is uh, Mary Jane Clinic. <laughs> Yeah, okay. So um, I was in, I went to selection in 2000. Uh -huh. or, I'm sorry, October, November 99 is, is when I went to selection. And if you're thinking of going to SFAS, anybody out there, fall is the best time to do it. Because some, some of that greenery is starting to die out. Because land nav, there is no land nav course like the one in SFAS, except for maybe the one in uh, Delta Force selection. That's probably the only one that's, that's even... That even comes close to. Is that because it's like it's army and that like army's like land? It's like that's your thing. 
I think it's just because it's special forces. Honestly, yeah. yeah. I mean, the I I haven't been, I didn't go to ranger school, um, but from what I've I mean I've known a lot of rangers my time I've had been teammates with them and from what I've I've been told from the land out there is it's more orienteering like you're you might do a little bit of overland but it's it's also a group effort like okay, the stuff yeah, you're yeah. actually doing over land you've got your entire patrol there making sure you're on course because they don't want to fail either mm -hmm. and the guys on the road then you're on the road and that's easy the stuff in special forces selection uh it's not even on a base yeah you're out on a game reserve oh, okay and you're going through all kinds of terrain um you don't have mountains so you're missing that but there's plenty of there's swamps there's water there's wait a minute vines if, if, if you're from the southeast, you know what a wait a minute vine is. It's, you're walking through and you get through a draw and these vines just start oh, hanging yeah. on you. Oh, dude. You're, you're fighting them. Yeah, I got yeah. I got a story about those. I just had a, I just had my appendix removed and mm -hmm. I got drawn for this hunt that I really wanted to go on. And anyway, condensing it, I got stuck basically in that stuff mm -hmm. and burst my stitches and didn't know it. And then like a month later, I was in the hospital for a month because... I had a liter and a half of fluid in my cavity and oh, my lungs wow. just collapsed. Ooh, that's fun. <laughs> so anyway, um, so yeah, so 9-11 happens. Yeah, so Tell me some more stories. I'm, I'm, in, <laughs> I'm in special forces school. Um, almost halfway through the medic course, the, the uh, medic portion. We never talked about that whole pipeline, did we? Not really. Yeah, so selection, then small unit tactics phase, which is basically a condensed ranger school. Then you go to your MOS phase, which is your specialty, for, which for me is medic. Uh -huh. And if you pass that on the first go, just the medic portion is year long mm. by itself. Yeah. Yeah. So it's no joke. Um, no, I bet. Yeah. And then you've got um, Robin Sage, which is the culminating exercise where you're actually on an, an ODA doing unconventional warfare with uh, role player gorillas. And then you've got language school and seer school. Um, that's how it was when I went through. It's that order's been changed up a little bit here and there, and I don't know what it, exactly it is right now. But all those components are, are in yeah. there. They're the same. So I was halfway through the medic course. Um, I just come back from doing my paramedic internship in New York. Um, I was just a few days out of being. I was working in an emergency room in Manhattan mm. at Metropolitan Hospital, and um, we came in from PT just in time to see the second tower go down. That's funny. I was actually coming in from PE <laughs> in middle school. <laughs> same, same. You know. <laughs> PT, PE. You know. <laughs> so we had our bags packed from the back of the classroom because we were brand new. We, we were cert fully certified. Everybody in the, that was in the class at that point that had been rolled back mm -hmm. was a nationally registered paramedic. Mm. So they were going to send us back up to uh, help out the fire department oh, wow. up there. Um, and it went all the way up to the sector of defense. And he's the one that kept us in class. He said, just keep them in school, they're going to be busy enough. Yeah. And he was right, because a few months after I graduated, uh, I was in Afghanistan. Yeah. But uh, the, the, what was hard for people is we, the guys that were washing out of the 18 Delta course were going to 18 Bravo, which is weapons, and a much smaller course. We actually saw a guy that washed out of our course on the front page of a paper in the Philippines, because we weren't just fighting in, the Fil in Afghanistan, we were also fighting in the Philippines. Right, the, um, the Abu Islamic, yeah. Yep. yep, and other groups. But <laughs> So now we've got this guy that didn't make it with us, but he's the first guy in our class to make it to combat. <laughs> he's got, he's got Easter, a belt of Easter eggs walking through the jungle. Oh, man. We're like, no! <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Easter eggs is a, 
Two or three rounds. Okay, yeah, 40 yeah. 40 millimeter uh, grenades, yeah. So, um, yeah, 9-11 happened while I was That's there. That's the group that um, kidnapped those, that husband and wife the missionaries. missionaries. Yep. Yeah. 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 They're pretty decimated now. Uh, okay, yeah, good. there's still go stuff going on over there, yeah. um, and ISIS um, kind of envelops any any group that we came close to destroying. ISIS kind of came back and s smothered and covered, I guess, yeah. if you want to put it in a Waffle House terminology. <laughs> and uh, ISIS is, I would say, more formidable because they've had lessons learned from from fighting us for 20 years. But yeah. A lot of that stuff, I won't get too political on this, but a lot of that stuff is us tying our own hands behind our back. Mm. It's unfortunate. Um, Wait, what do you mean? Well, let me preface this by saying that I'm not speaking on behalf of the Department of Defense sure. or any other government agency. Um, so this is my own, my own views and opinions, but I... Uh, <clears throat> our own freedom... I mean, I love our freedom, and, but our government cycle is built off a four-year election system, yeah. right? So we elect a guy, and he spends that first year picking out his cabinet and, and uh, trying to uh, implement some, some rules and follow up on promises, election promises, right? Yeah. Um, but really not much gets done because he's still trying to figure out his, his cabinet, right. right? He's still, or he's trying to undo everything that yeah. the guy before him did, right. like, which is what we had in this case right now. Yeah. And then your second year, all right, we've got our cabinet, we can get down, we can do some business. That third year, they're starting to gear up for re-election, and that fourth year, they're campaigning. So really, you've got one year of effective government mm. out of a four-year election cycle. Yeah. Um, and then, so during that time, you know, I think there's more effort putting into what's going to get me reelected or what's going to get my party reelected than in, instead of what's actually going to get the job done. Yeah. Hmm. I actually, I'm, I'm all for term limits um, for, for, for legislators. I think career senator and congress people, I think that's a terrible idea. Yeah. I think. I wonder how people like Pelosi have become millionaires while being... Yeah. I met Pelosi in 2003 in Afghanistan. Oh, really? And she's been in office. I don't know how long she was in office before then. I had to give her a briefing while I was there. I had no idea yeah, who she was. There's some serious corruption going on. That's but she's something. a, you know... What, I read the other day she's got like... She's, her net worth is $115 million. How does that happen as a government servant? It, it, yeah, right? it should not. Right. So I, I'm all for those... those those term limits. I think a career politician is a bad idea. Yeah. Um, but at the same token, I actually think we should have like a six-year presidential term. Even sense. if I mean, there's always going to be somebody that half the country doesn't like. Yeah. It's always going to happen. Yeah. You can, and you can't win them all. But I would appreciate some continuity. Yeah. Especially for somebody like me, who's basically the trigger finger of foreign diplomacy. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's. Even if it's something I don't agree with, at least we can see it through. Hey! That's that's Isaac. How's it going, man? Good. Um, so anyway, um, maybe that was a natural 
exit point. Yeah, yeah political. It's an, yeah. <laughs> and it jump off my and, I, mean, I right gotta there. say this too. I mean, like, no company in the world would hire a senile eighty-something-year-old to run it, and we have a senile eighty-something running our country. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I've got. <laughs> I tread lightly there because I'm still carrying a cat card and, you know, no, I, I make you. an appointment not, not to even, whether I, I like or dislike the sitting president, you know, he is my commander in chief. I'll never be the person to say, it's not my president, even if I don't agree with him because nobody forced me to enlist or re-enlist. Yeah. You know? I, so and it's still I, I've, America. I've, yeah. And it's still America. And I don't have to like the guy. I just like right. to work for him. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I, I made an agreement. But I do think that if you've been in the, uh, the same company for 41 years and you're not good at it yet maybe <laughs> maybe you don't become the ceo yeah. <laughs> seriously man uh, it's, that's my personal opinion i mean yeah <laughs> anyway yeah. um all right tell me a story you haven't told on a podcast before all right if you can yeah sure this one will actually be pretty relevant to uh to this crowd because uh uh, last October, uh, I was fortunate enough to go on a, on a backcountry elk hunt um, oh, nice. in the, in the Selway. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, this is That's a rugged country. It is. It is a very rugged country. And uh, I've got a background in covering some pretty rugged ground, but I am not the physical specimen I was 20 years ago. <laughs> so it was challenging. Um, and that tall guy with saw walk across earlier, Mike, he was one of my hunting partners on there. So it was uh, Josh Smith from Montana Knife Company. Okay. And uh, Lacey, one of our uh, photographers who lives up in Idaho. And, uh, she's a former uh, Forest Service surveyor. Okay. So she's pretty tough. And uh, Trevor Thompson, who's our token seal. Did you guys kill? He did. Okay. He's, Trevor is the only person in the group that, that uh, bagged anything. Is it archery or rifle? Uh, rifle. Okay. Yeah. It was, it was difficult because last year... Uh, was really dry, yeah. So that that drove everybody higher. Um, there was not just word of wolves, but Lacey actually saw a pair of wolves while she mm -hmm. was waiting. We took a bush plane in, and uh, she made it a couple days, a couple nights before us because weather hit. We took she took off with the gear, and it was supposed to just be a hop and pop. Like they're gonna land, yeah. drop her and the gear off, and then the bush plane is gonna come back up pick us up. Well, on the way back, weather hit, and we couldn't get out for two more nights. Oh, okay. But um, via inReach, she knew that we were finally coming in, so she went down to the riverbed, um, you know, not maybe a hundred yards away from our camp, uh, with her camera uh, to watch us come in because we're coming up by horseback. And um, while she was down there, a pair of wolves oh, no. went, went screaming wow. by. Yeah, we're like, why don't you shoot him? Like, I had my camera, like. <laughs> and, and your gun <laughs> yeah yeah so um so it drove the it drove the game up pretty high yeah uh and but it that's part of what made it such a difficult hunt is uh we did um i think it was the third day in uh clancy and i and, and uh, a couple guest guides that came in uh to help us out we from our from our base camp we saw a herd that was up at about six thousand feet mm. on a ridge line and our camp was at three grand roughly okay and uh it was afternoon when we saw this so we had to make a quick decision whether or not we were gonna get up there or not yeah um 
and we went. And uh, the guy that was leading us was, I don't think he actually has a brain. I think it's just all heart. <laughs> okay. He's made of all heart and muscle. It's some, the dude is a straight up workhorse. Okay, yeah. And there is no stopping him. Yeah. Uh, he used to play semi-pro ball and uh, you know, he's a sheet rocker by trade when he's not hunting and he's just, yeah. And he went light. Like he had a jacket and a disposable water bottle that he would refill every once in a while. He went super light. Wow. And Clancy is 6'5", I think, if not taller. And he's a former Force Recon Marine. Okay. So he was able to keep up to okay. I was the last one in the group. <laughs> um, but I made it and we, we, we got up there. We made, we covered 3,000 feet in 90 minutes. Wow, that's... It was yeah, brutal. That was pretty brutal. It was brutal. Um, but so much of that... And in that country, it's not an easy 3,000 feet. No. Not that there is an easy 3,000, but like it's... Yeah, so... Because we... Yeah, we started at water. Yeah. And where there's water, there's thick veg. Yeah. So we were going through thick veg and then, you know, a lot of deadfall uh, going in and around that. And it was kind of a blessing when we finally crossed the timberline. Yeah. But then it was, you know, shale and whatnot. Right, so yeah. just got the trekking poles out and rifle slung. And uh, <laughs> man, I was talking, at, at one point I wasn't hunting anymore. I was just competing yeah. against myself. Oh, for like, sure. I'm going to get up there. Yeah. Get up there. And I did, but so much of that experience reminded me of, of patrolling in the Hindu Kush mountains in Afghanistan, back okay. way back in the day with an M24. Yeah. You know, heavy rolled 308 um, because the terrain was similar. But so was the experience. Um, except there, I didn't really have a choice. You know, yeah. it, was, it was just go do it. And also, you're being hunted. Here, nobody's hunting me unless those wolves are yeah. out there, which I, I doubt. You know, yeah. I don't think they're hunting me. Um, but I, it, it became, it, it was such a gut check that it was, it was actually something I needed. You know, it would have been, it would have been, very nice to go home with any kind of meat yeah. on that trip. But the gut check I had just doing that, fa facing that, that crucible for myself. Mm -hmm. I think every man needs that from time to time. Every, every man needs to have, every man needs to get punched in the gut every once in a while yeah. just, to, just to remind them of who they are. When it was reminding you of being in the Hindu Kush in Afghanistan, was that like, a good nostalgic feeling or is it like a not at the bad time feeling or not at the time yeah like but i mean it's not like i was having the war flashbacks and there's hueys right, and right, credence right. clearwater yeah. playing in the background there's nothing like that but the because i i i never want to like compare what i do as a backcountry hunter to combat yeah. because like you said no one's trying to kill you you're out there for fun yeah at the end of the day but you gotta you gotta at the same time think that like there's there's a lot of heavy similarities in terms of stuff you're doing. There is, and it works both ways. You know, <clears throat> some of the the best. Soft, it's like what you were saying in the beginning of this podcast. Some of the best soft guys, like you were like, so so many heavy hitters and badasses come out of Oregon. What, what's yeah. why is that? Well, I think that's why. I think it's because they've they've had those physical challenges growing up. Yeah. You know, I, I ran cross country my freshman year in high school. I never did it after that. <laughs> I hated it. Yeah. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm not really built like a distance runner. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I never really have been, you know. Um, and I wasn't this big back then. You know, I was 5'11", 
135, but mm. even that's not, <laughs> right. I've, I've always had thick legs. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't built like a distance runner. Um, but every, by, by virtue of going to a small two-way private school, I was automatically varsity. Yeah. So I went from zero to 5K, <laughs> you know, nice. and every race I ran, I hated. Yeah. In the midpoint of that race, I'd say, that's it, I'm quitting after this race, but I won't quit this race. And so I never quit a race. And when I'd finish the race, I'd get that endorphin runner's yeah. high, which would trick me into doing it again. Mm -hmm. But I never quit that race. But that feeling of that, that acid in the top of my lungs and knowing I was pushing some, knowing that my body and my brain were fighting. Yeah. You know, not being a stranger to that is, is what I think has carried me through a lot of things, to include special forces selection. You gotta have those, those physical and mental crucibles, those challenges, mm -hmm. those gut punches. You gotta have those and you gotta give them to yourself because if you don't test your limits, it's kinda like I was talking about faith. Yeah. If you don't test it, somebody else is going to. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta build yourself stronger. Absolutely. Or you'll break when the time comes. Yeah. yeah I think that's why, you know, so many people are drawn, or so many guys are drawn to backcountry hunting and stuff. And yeah, like in the moment, it's not always fun. A lot of times you're like, this sucks. Yeah. Um, but um, I know like for me, like I was saying like, you know, I don't, I don't really have regrets. Cause like, like I said, you know, I think everything happens for a reason. But like, if I did have a regret is like, I always wanted to do something military-esque or, you know, special forces or something when I was younger. But like I told you, like I was literally a dumb junkie, like mm -hmm. all my twenties. Like I could, they wouldn't even take me. Right. And like, so um, I wonder if that's some of the reason why I'm so drawn to this kind of activity and stuff like that. But um, yeah, just the confidence you come back out of, you know, these trips with and like, cause I was, you know, even just like three years ago, I was like just coming off of some rough times and mm -hmm. was like obese, like literally obese. <laughs> and uh, I'd wanted to do these adventures, but like I just physically couldn't do it. And yeah. like, and that makes you, um, it's depressing. It says uh, somewhere in Proverbs, like a, a dream deferred makes the heart sick, right? That's Trevor. We were just talking about the Selway trip. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, <laughs> that's cool, man. Yeah. He's, he's the one that killed? Yeah, he's the only one that, that filled his tag. Nice. Yeah. The rest was just walked around. I was just in there recently. That's <laughs> rugged back there. Yeah. Um, well, cool, man. Um, I don't know if there's anything else I was going to ask you about. So that story... I actually wrote about it. It'll come out in the next uh, print issue of Coffee or Die, which may not be called Coffee or Die. We, some, we tried to change the name, and then somebody else also had that name. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> it, it, so it may say Ford Observer on it or Ford something. Ford Observer? Like, yeah, but I think it's back to Coffee or Die now. It's, it's, been, a, yeah. it's been a confusing time. So <clears throat> you kind of you grew up in a Christian tradition. Yeah. You had partially. This, partially. <laughs> you had this experience, experiences which took you away from, I guess, organized religion. Yeah. But still, you have the spirituality. Um, I took a departure, I, I would say, from all of it. Yeah. It took me, it took a lot of growing and failing 
uh, and maturing to learn that I didn't, I didn't have to have one with the other. Right. But then you came, like, you came back, like, <clears throat> to something. Yeah. Um, would, how, can you define that? Would you define that? I don't know Is if there... I can define it, but I can... Like, I can do you find yourself, like, in that it. moment where you're, where you're, um, maybe it's that moment, or maybe it's another moment where you're um, very challenged, or even emotionally challenged, or something, do you find yourself falling back on some, something in your spirit, or God, or... Resiliency, I would say, and, you know, at the heart of everything, there is surrender. And you probably remember the moment when you turned your life over to Christ, that, that feeling that rushed over you when you realized you didn't have to do it all yourself. Yeah. That it, 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 you just felt washed, right? And I know that feeling because I did it. But there's other, there's, there's similar experiences to that. And a lot of guys out there think they can do everything on their own. And they continue to do it and they continue to struggle. And it's not necessary. It's, it's beating your head against the wall. Yeah. You have to be able to surrender. You have to know that not only can you not do everything on your own, but you shouldn't try to right. do everything on your own. But you're saying you can't define it. Is it settled in you? Or are you still on the path to figure out what it is? <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm still on the path. And uh, I'm not mad about that, you know. It's, uh, I, I guess uh, it's, it's part of traveling, it's part of searching. Yeah. You know? Um, well, those who seek find, so. Yeah. Um, and honestly, part of me hopes I never actually find it because I, I, I enjoy the journey. Yeah. But um, I, I would say I'm, I'm wise enough to know that uh, surrender is, is a key to it. Just got to surrender to the right thing. That's my next question surrender to whom? Or what? <clears throat> you, did you, have you seen The Deer Hunter? I haven't. Oh sadly. man! I know. Okay, well, that's homework. It's homework. <laughs> Watch the Deer Hunter. It's a fantastic movie. Oh wait, movie. that's the one where they have to play Russian roulette in the cage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have Ow! Yeah. Yeah. But was, I was like too young. I didn't really. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lengthy movie. Yeah. Um, that's the only part I remember. <laughs> on VHS, it was two tapes. Wow. <laughs> but uh, there's a scene where he goes hunting when he comes back. He's he's back. He's He's a Green Beret, comes back from Vietnam, um, and he's with, uh, he's hunting with two guys that he grew up with, was friends with, and everything else. And you can see the difference between all of them. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've personally experienced that. Like, I can identify a lot with that movie. But he's out, and he's stalking this deer, and they're just running through, he's just running through the mountains, right? And, uh, he gets that deer in his, in his sights. And I think for a lot of people, this next scene didn't make a lot of sense, but I think people that have actually um, had that challenge, and you know, for people in combat, okay, yeah, it's, it's an easy one because that's what the movie's about. Or at least that's the, that's the theme of the movie, that, that's the, the plot. But it, 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 didn't, it doesn't have to be that particular challenge. He's, he's come back from this experience changed mm -hmm. and he has not surrendered to that change right but when he has that moment where he's watching that deer and he's got the deer in his scopes and they make eye contact he drops his rifle and he just he says okay 
and then he yells out, okay. And I think that was his moment of surrender. Just like meaning like acceptance or yeah. acceptance of the fact that he had changed or? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, we're, we're getting a little philosophical here. Right, and I, like it's, it. I don't have this mapped out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, all. this is great. So a lot of this is just off the cuff. But yeah. I mean, one thing I've, <sighs> one thing I've, I've told people is it's, it's a lot easier to float down a river around a rock than beat your way through it. Yeah. You know? I guess it's just my personality to like want to define things so much. And like, it makes no, things a lot easier. Yeah. Right? Right. Yeah. The definition <laughs> makes things I guess a lot easier. Not everybody easier. is like that. <laughs> it's not so much I don't want to. It's, uh, I just, I think. Is there something in you that's still reluctant to like come back to the, the Christian God? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I don't think that'll happen. Um, and it's, it's not coming back to the Christian God. I think it's coming back to the Christian religion. Yeah. Uh, I can't come back to something where the answer is, well, you just have to have faith. And, which is interesting because you're talking about having those definitions, mm -hmm. right? Well, Are there certain things that like, you, can't, you just can't, like, that, that are stumbling blocks for you? Yeah, dead kids mostly. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, like, basically, how can a good guy let that stuff happen? Yeah. 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 There's a book by C.S. Lewis called uh, The Problem of Pain, mm -hmm. or The Problem of Suffering or something. You should read it. Okay. I think it's called The Problem of Pain, but C.S. Lewis, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. I mean, I've, I've, I've had those questions too and been able to work through them, but I had never seen a four-year-old with a gunshot wound to the head either, so. Yeah, and I wish that was the only one. Yeah. You know, I have seen some stuff. I've done disaster relief, and, um, but nothing like, um, nothing like you've seen. Mm -hmm. So I don't. I have a lot of respect for um, people that can do relief work um, and, and see the worst that humanity offers and still come back and, and, and have that guiding faith. Yeah. I have a lot of respect for that. I mean, I just see um, as bad things happen because we have a bad enemy and there's evil in the world. And I, like I said, I don't see, like, you know, a dead, a dead kid. I don't see necessarily like, okay, God did that. To me, it's like, okay, the enemy did that. And like, it's our job to try to enforce good on the earth. And that's what God wants us to do. Um, maybe, I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's too simplistic. I don't know, but. It, I mean, it's, it's all, it's all what your faith can afford. Yeah. Uh, for me, I didn't see that God did that. I see that God allowed that. Yeah. And I, that's, not, that's not something I can reconcile hmm. for myself. Yeah. So in that term, in that respect, sometimes it does feel like I'm kind of out in the wilderness because I see, I see where people are you know, in the church and have their faith and that's, yeah. it's a blanket. They're able to wrap themselves up in that. Yeah. And, uh, I, Most people haven't had to see it like right. you have. Yeah, yeah. And there are people that have. You yeah. know, there are plenty of special operations guys out there that that uh, that wrap themselves in that blanket. Um, and you know, with with veteran mental health being such a an issue, uh, you know, what guys end up turning to is 
the Bible, the Bull, or Booze. And out of those three, if they got to pick the Bible, I'd, I'd much rather them do that. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Well, I don't know. This has been a good conversation. It has been a good conversation, and there's definitely some stuff in here that you know is deep, and I'm gonna find that you know, it's not gonna be on my podcast. It's definitely gonna be on the Black Rifle Coffee podcast. So <laughs> yeah, man. yeah. Um, I'm gonna see if I can find that book for you and send you a copy. Sure, man. Be um, happy to read it. Yeah. Um, well, anything else you want to say? I mean, uh, you smash 15 for 15 percent at Black Rifle Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh, my code's 20, so use mine. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> but only on your first order. Yeah, same. Same. No, nah, man. Um, all right, cool. Well, but seriously, anything else you wanted to say? Or? No, man, this has been a good talk. Yeah. yeah. We should do another one sometime, though. And um, I, I, I really like where this one went. Yeah. So I, did, I wanted to stay on it. Um, maybe we can do another one sometime where you can just tell me cool stories. Sure. But I love this one, so. Yeah. Great all talking right. to you, brother. Yeah. All right, man.